And welcome to episode uh, four of the Lighting Lounge. How are you doing tonight, Aid? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, it's uh, it's nice and warm here in the UK, and uh, we don't take that lightly. Um, you know, uh, we, we we enjoy it while we can. So uh, yes, so it's uh, it's nice to be here. Nice to be here. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying the longer, uh, brighter evenings. It's nice to be able to, you know, leave work and it not be pitch black when the, when you leave the shop. So. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's nice, isn't it? It's it's yeah. You know, when you get the, uh, the the winter time and it's it's dark at four o'clock and oh, I can't be bothered to do anything. And now I you know, finish finish the day or finish the day's work and run around in the sunshine for a bit. It's cool. Yeah, great. Yeah, and it gives you it gives you some opportunities to go out and take pictures too. If you if you're dependent on sunlight. Um, Good point. To, uh, Which is a, 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 a almost dragging us kicking and screaming to the point, isn't it? Actually, <laughs> the, the topic of this podcast, even dare I say? Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it was a, a thought about transition, but sometimes these it's things happen. Brilliant, absolutely, <laughs> st absolutely stunning. You'll go far in this business, uh, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> the, the money's rolling in already. I can just feel it. Anyways, yes. um, yeah. So we we wanted to talk about actually getting into some flash photography stuff tonight. And, yes. um, which is, which is very exciting because that's what I really love. And I think, uh, it's what gets you excited too. So it is uh, something I thoroughly enjoy. Um, I have been doing some more of that this week, uh, more product photography for, uh, my wife, Emma's, uh, craft shop, uh, which is, uh, can be, t uh, creative. It is possibly more of a technical exercise. Um, but I think today, I think we can geek out a little bit, can't we? And talk a little bit technically because some of these things you do need to, to practice and you do need to know how things work in order to get the results you're after essentially. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. We can, we can talk about what we've done a bit too. I was actually in Frankfurt on Saturday and took part in a workshop there, uh, with an Australian photographer and it oh, was, cool. uh, the title of the workshop was studio photography. So, uh, that was kind of fun. And, uh, Okay. I got to, I got to play well, with tell some Tell me more about lights. that then. Well, he's a, he's a fashion portrait photographer from Australia. Um, right. P Peter Colson is his name. Um, right. He's got a YouTube channel, which has got a lot of fantastic information. And so I, I decided to treat myself to a, to a workshop with him. Um, it was pretty pricey, but I uh, <laughs> went ahead and, was and took a shot and, um, um, it was, it was a fun day. Uh, one of the downsides was that there was a lot of people there that had really big, really expensive cameras and very oh. little clue of how to use them. Um, ah. <laughs> so that was, that was something that was a bit uh, frustrating, I think to me and to him as well. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, Oh, how do you turn on the electronic shutter? How do you turn off the electronic shutter? Why can't I see anything in my mirrorless camera? It's all black. And oh, okay. These kinds of things. So, um, anyways, uh, you know, this with a, I don't know, eight thousand. Well, let's start with that one. Yeah. The, oh, I can't see anything because my screen's black. Yeah. I know why my camera does that. Yeah. Um, uh, it, uh, it, so my camera does that because 
it is trying to reflect the composition that you've got set in the camera. The exposure. The exposure. Sorry, yes. Sorry, thank you. (laughs) The exposure. Um, And, of course... Uh, well, let's say if you're if you're using I don't know if you're using a manufacturer native TTL system, whether it works this out automatically, but I don't. I use third party equipment and that means that my camera doesn't know it's just about to fire the flash. Uh, and so it's just faithfully reporting that I've horrendously underexposed my shot so much so that nothing shows at all. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was exactly the problem was that when you've got your, uh, for my camera, it's called exposure preview. Um, and the, yeah. the different cameras have different things. Um, all of which is completely irrelevant in analog because there is no digital viewfinder in an analog camera, but that's okay. Um, good point. Our, our digital colleagues have to start somewhere though, even if it's slightly behind. Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> If, if you're, you know, previewing your exposure either on the back screen or in your viewfinder, and as you say, your, your, your goal is actually to underexpose so much that you get to black. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, well, that is, that's a, a technical point, isn't it? It's, it? I suppose that that is, if it is, if that is indeed your goal. Yeah, true. So it so uh, and and just to, to close off the thought before we move on to that next bit, um, I do have a setting in my camera that says don't try and emulate the exposure. Just show me what you can see. Yeah, and yeah. then it shows you um, you know something that you can work with. But tell me, so so let's start with that first principle then. So you know, um, not so much fade to black, but actually starting <laughs> with black. So why why would you personally be uh, wanting a black exposure? Well, um, there's two different circumstances. Either you want to um, completely eliminate the the light that is in the room or the studio, whatever, and just start with black, because that means that your camera is not getting any exposure from the ambient light. It's all yes. of the light okay. is coming from your, your flash, you know, your added light. Um, the other possibility is to say, okay, I want to mix these lights and maybe have the background be a certain exposure and then add light with the flash on top of that. And then you, you have something, some sort of light coming from the ambient or the background light, and then you're adding to that with the flash. It's one of the easier ones to get, but, yeah, but, but removing the ambient light or killing off the ambient light, it just means exactly what we've just described, which is you know, setting that uh, exposure, that base level of exposure in your camera so that n- the, the ambient light, whatever it might be, is not impacting the picture that you make. Um, so uh, typically that is reasonably straightforward to do if you are indoors. Yeah. Um, you can work, uh, you don't have to work in the dark, Never, uh, not in the slightest. Um, and uh, you can have room lights on or you could have a, a light at the other end of the room or whatever it is. Um, because where you're setting, you know, the, when you apply the flash, it applies so much more light than the ambient uh, light that uh, it's easy to get a good exposure with the flash whilst not letting the ambient light impact your image at all. So that's, I guess that's the why of the technique, isn't it? It's like, why would you, uh, um, or uh, partly. um, And then 
just another one on jargon which we might come to later um you know it's uh when, when you're mixing uh artificial light or added light um with your ambient light um people say th- people start to say things like oh well you um you need you need to uh, uh, expose for two stops below ambient and then fill right and uh which is another technical ter- terminology i guess as well to to a point um uh and we'll talk more about mixing light sources later because that's a lot of fun as well but two stops below ambient would would literally be two stops underexposed uh and then fill apply, uh, refers to using your uh your your flash your your speed lights or your studio strobes or whatever your artificial light is to bring the exposure back up to the right level for your subject so let's say it is uh, well, John Michael, you do this a lot, don't you? I mean, you, your model shots and, and, uh, and all of that. You know, you're, you're, um, you're, you're lighting them to the right level uh, to, to a really good exposure and let the background fall where it may, you know, underexposed so it doesn't detract. Yeah, or, or do something different with the background. It's all about, it's all about uh, what you want to create and how to get there. So, um, yeah. If, if, if you were to, if, if you were to start working with flash and uh, maybe want to try and get something, start doing some creative things with flash and haven't played with it much before, then starting with black is a really good way to kind of at least know, okay, whatever is coming, you know, whatever's showing up in my picture, it's coming from the flash. Cause otherwise you might, you might wonder like, why is there always a highlight on the background or why is there always this thing glowing on the left and all my lights coming from the right? How is it getting all the way around? And, you know, maybe it's a window or a door open or something that's, that's, you know, leaking light onto your image that you're not expecting. And, um, I guess that's with, with, with film photography, because of course you don't necessarily get to see, uh, the, the options there. I mean, yeah, the, you can use digital to cheat at the course of this point you could have with you a digital camera and do exactly what we've just described which is set the explosion the sp- explosion <laughs> explosion explosion is not a good thing exposure uh to a light level which you know to a level which is um it which is gives you that black and then copy that set it, those settings over to your film camera that's, that's a great way um there are many light metering apps on a phone that would allow you to do that as well although of course on the phone you you can't change the aperture of your lens so it, it you, you would need to do some little mental arithmetic or uh, back of a piece of paper arithmetic to make sure that you were transposing the numbers correctly uh, because if your phone has a uh, an aperture of f2.8 and you, you know, you're you're wanting to shoot with your main camera f8 then you've got three stops of difference there is it three 2.8 4 5.68 yeah three stops of difference sorry i've never been any good. <laughs> I, I know the numbers but yeah. i can never tell you how many, how many stops, stops apart is. two of those numbers are that's yeah. really i always get very difficult for me never really got the hang of that um so uh yeah so it is it is better to do that if you're going to if you're going to to want that level of confidence that comes from knowing that the background you know the the ambient is really dialed out um then a digital camera that allows you to do manual settings that would be exactly the same as what you hope to shoot with on a film camera is is more reliable than trying to do it with a phone app although it is possible with a phone app well the uh the phone app will be great for giving you the ambient but you're not going to be able to get your flash exposure with the phone 
At least I don't. Uh, no, I don't no, have no, any. I was just can... for dialing it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's um, maybe let's go on to the next thing then and talk about you know okay so we've we've got a black exposure now um, how do we start adding light to that so um, how do you how do you trigger your flashes how do I trigger my flashes that's a good question um, so. Uh... I have a fairly inexpensive Chinese system, um, uh, which has a radio trigger that goes in the hot shoe of my camera and the flashes have radio receivers in them. So this is a speedlight system by a company called Yongnuo, who were all the rage a few years ago. You can almost tell what year people bought their equipment in by what brand was popular enough yeah, I think, and cheap I think enough Godox at the time. Is the, the hot thing now. Yeah, Godox wasn't around so much mm. uh, when I bought these because I've had them for quite a few years, probably probably going on ten years actually. Oh, wow. Um, I, yeah, because I had them when my kids were were young, much younger. Um, but they uh, so and they, they yeah I have four speed lights and the transmitter uh for the price of like one nikon or, or canon speed light um so it, it is a very affordable way to get into this stuff and to get into off camera flash which is where yeah which is i think um i'm not going to say it's where we all want to be all the time but but it is that it does give you a lot more creative options for how you control your light if your flash is not mounted on top of your camera so uh yes so i trigger my flashes using a radio system i have had in the past um completely dumb radio systems where you buy some really really cheap um units that are literally just triggers so you put the the transmitter in the hot shoe on your camera and the receiver units uh simply have a hot shoe on the top of them and you put your flash into the hot shoe on top of the radio receiver and uh yeah those are equally good uh, apart from one small thing which is that you can't remotely change the power of your flash if you're doing that so if you've got a flash on top of a, lo a tall light stand that's 10 feet tall every time you want to change your settings and dial it in you need to then lower that or get a ladder out or something uh, to change it so um, happily uh, for those that haven't tried it yet and are thinking about trying it actually the radio systems with, con with remote control of the flash power are actually really affordable these days uh, for manual Flash. they're they're quite reasonable i've i've got the uh the young Nuo system as well and it's got a it's got a nice little trigger this is the one that i have it's oh, yeah mine uh, looks identical yeah. to that yeah yeah um so it's you can arrange your flashes into different groups and you can adjust the power from from your camera which is very convenient um yeah that was a game changer for me oh, yeah. when i first got a system that could do that because i had had the just the, the the raw triggering functionality before and i was like oh this is so much better so one thing one thing that i found super helpful with that is um i actually put a little letter on my flashes oh, okay um because i'm i'm always forgetting uh you know you've got groups a b and c and basically yeah, any, yeah, any yeah. system you've got will have those things but i always forget like is A in the soft box or is B in the soft box or what's ah, where and okay. that sort of thing. So I just, I got some of these little, you know, labels, little stickers and just put A, B and C on my, on my flashes. And nice. I've actually got, um, I've got an X and a Y as well. I've got five flashes in total. 
And what I'd like to do is I, I will um, put the X or the Y into one of my other groups. So, you know, if, if A needs yes. a lot of power, yeah, yeah. then I'll just program one of my extra flashes to that A. And so I, you know, I'll yeah. gang them together to get some extra juice. So, so let's give a little bit of context around yeah. that then. So this is for um, when you are using a multi-light setup and you want different flash power from the different flashes. Uh, how do you deal with that with a uh, with a radio system? Well, as you've just said, the, the flashes can be set to be in different groups. Um, it's a bit like uh, if you if you have if people who played with walkie talkies mm. and you have to choose a channel, you have, have to be on the same channel. And when you were a kid and had cheap walkie talkies with analog radios in them, um, everybody would get like all sorts of you know cross you know signals. Um, nowadays, uh, you get digital tuners inside walkie-talkies, and you can be very precise of the frequency you can use, and you can set a frequency uh, uh, that you talk to it. Um, and it's a bit similar to that. It, it's a bit different as well because what I was talking about there was was actual radio frequency, and what we're what we're talking about with the flashes is the message that you send. Mm. So a, a flash that's in Group A will listen only to messages intended for Group A. So when you say, "Ah, oh, Group A, I want a bit more power from you, please," that only the Group A flashes will will respond to that, and the Group B flashes will ignore it until you give the Group B an instruction. So you could have, let's say, you had a a a three light portrait setup you could have each of your three lights in in a different group and therefore you could set them to different powers um, and often um, if they have zoomable heads different zooms as well uh, and you can do all of that remotely from your camera um, without having to worry about step ladders or adjusting lighting stands and then putting them back in the wrong place or all sorts of nonsense like that or yeah. So uh, really, really powerful stuff to have those radio trigger systems. Yeah. Um, if you are going to get into some kind of system like that, then do a little bit of research and just be sure that your your trigger, your transmitter will talk to your flashes because not all, uh, even within the same brand, Yongnuo has two different systems. One uh, is TTL capable, which is... Um, We'll talk about that maybe in a minute um, and the other one is not and those two are non-compatible so you can't get this some of the flashes talking to the triggers and that sort of thing so just just be sure that you're you're if you're going to get into stuff be sure that you're getting stuff that's going to work together smoothly because it can really be a good pain. point yes yes and i have to say uh, well let's ask, ask the question um so do you shoot in ttl or do you shoot in manual i do manual I yeah, don't have too. I don't have any TTL equipment. Um, I've I've tried it. I was uh, with another photographer who had it, and mm -hmm. um, so TTL is basically your your camera or the flash will fire a little pulse, and the camera will look and see how bright that pulse is, and use that information to try and figure out how bright the flash flashes should be to match the exposure that you want to have. And the more sophisticated the the system, the better it will do that, I guess. Um, I found it really confusing because I wanted to, you know, I said, I want a bit more flash power. How do I do that? And he said, well, open your aperture. And I was like, what? No, I want to turn the flash up. And so um, anyways, <laughs> yes. I think I think TTL is fantastic for things like weddings or, you know, where you have to move fast and and you're constantly changing. Then you can let the let the computer and the wizardry in the camera and the flash figure it out for you um, indeed yes yeah but, no, it is very good for that certainly um 
because uh, 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 every situation is different when you're doing something like that isn't it so you can't you, you can't say oh if i set it and then it'll be fine for everything i do you almost you you, you, you the ttl capability really gives you the ability to without thinking about it get your exposures right your flash exposures right yeah um uh and, and and yeah that which very very important but i have to say i don't i don't think no no actually i i, I know actually the setup that the, the the units that i have are not ttl units um i was going to say they might be nikon compatible but given that i shoot with a fuji it makes no <laughs> difference at all um the uh so you'll see often that um if you're buying these things actually this good 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 buyer's guide moment here um, you will see that the non-TTL units um, are cheaper uh, and the TTL units are name bra uh, branded. They're not brand, sorry, the product itself isn't branded, but the description of the product will say this is compatible with the Canon TTL system uh, or, the, or, or this is compatible with the Sony TTL system. Yeah. Uh, and that is something that is uh, important to get right, if that's your thing, because if you buy the Canon one and you shoot with Sony's, it probably isn't going to work. No, it causes all <laughs> kinds of trouble. Um, uh, last year, or was it? The, I guess it was last year, um, we, we did a little photo meetup in our, in our Tango studio, and there was, I think, 30 photographers there. And we, we set up four or five different flash setups in the same room. And um, th just getting all of those things working together and not crossing channels or not, uh, you know, having triggers for everybody that were going to work on their cameras. And it was quite an adventure getting all of that stuff. Uh, that's true. Set up, yes, so. I, can um, I can imagine. So that's where the radio frequency bid yeah. does come in. So, yeah. so you'll find that, you know, that most speed lights will have a channel as uh, well as a group yeah and the channel allows you to deconflict the messages flying around through space if you're yeah. shooting with other people and at least at least with the young Nua ones and i think it's for others it's pretty similar but it's uh your channel is a number and your group is a letter so yes you yeah, can yeah. you can set those things up and um, it's all and it's all doable from the device that sits on the hot shear of your camera so um, you know, uh, you'll recognize anybody that's looking at these or, you know, online, you'll recognize them because they have, um, uh, a bit like a, a bit like a flash without the flat, a bit like a mm. speed light without the, without the head, uh, they will have, uh, uh, buttons and they will have a screen, uh, and you will be able to use the buttons to navigate and change the settings. Um, and, and that then determines what messages get sent when you take the shot. So let's um, let's drag ourselves back into the film era a bit. Um, <laughs> yes. What, good point. what if you want to shoot with a camera that doesn't have a hot shoe? I don't know if that's Ooh. something you've done much of. Okay. Um, do you know what I haven't? I mean, I, you know, so many film cameras will have a a PC connector. I've never figured out what PC stands for. Do you know what PC stands for? Oh, you got me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so often, and often that is a little round unit. It looks a little bit like um, a, a three and a half mil audio, like an old headphone cable socket. It's a bit smaller than that, I think, and and maybe it's a coax cable as well. But it's a, it's it's a little round hole, basically, often on the front of a, a film SLR, um, or if you've got a medium format camera which has got a bit more space on the body, then it'll be somewhere on the body, different brand by brand. 
Uh, but yeah, if you don't have a hot shoe to trigger, then often you can plug a little cable into uh, that uh, and that will be linked in some way to the shutter mechanism in your camera and it will fire um, mechanically. No, there must be an electrical signal. It actually um, short circuits. Is that how it works? Yeah, it? Um, what happens is that the, because uh, I've, I've taken apart several cameras and seen how that works. So it's actually when the shutter fires, one of these little wheels or something will close a circuit, which closes um, the, the PC sync is basically just two cables. There's one that goes on the outside and there's a pin that goes inside and that's insulated. And when oh, those two okay. get connected, then it, it basically tells the flash, okay, that's a short circuit, let's fire. That's and so very the, interesting. You're a very knowledgeable man. <laughs> so when the when the shutter goes and that mechanism, you know, it'll it'll close that circuit and that'll fire it off. And that's why um, if you've ever uh, if if you're plugging in a PC cable and your your flashes are on and live, you're probably going to get some misfires while you're plugging that in because it's oh, very okay. easy to short to short circuit that while you're plugging it in. Right. Um, which is. It's not dramatic. Nothing happens, but uh, just you know, be aware that when you're plugging in that <laughs> PC cable, it can, it can misfire. Um, okay, that's so. As you can tell, I haven't really used uh, the, uh, those. The the only non hot shoe based systems I've used are things like a Diana camera, which you know, uh, which has two by comparison massive metal prongs that go down into the body but if you but uh, so so one way to do that if you have a diana camera um or other cameras that have a non-standard socket is to get the adapter so i know for dianas you can buy um because when i had a diana i i i, I had one um, you can buy a converter that effectively is the two metal prongs you need and and it's just a little plastic box with a hot shoe a basic hot shoe on the okay. top of it so then you can plug your whatever's you can use a normal flash on your camera or you can uh use a triggering system like we've just been discussing hmm. interesting um so when you're when you're working with the the pc port what what i want to do is i want to be able to use my flashes with any camera that that is flash capable um so what i've got is i've got a little I've got, I've got several now but the basic thing is i've got a little cube here and it's basically it's got a hot shoe on the top and uh -huh. it's got a, a pc sync port on the side and so oh, this is okay. basically an external hot shoe um so you connect this little pc port to the pc port on your camera and this has got a it's got a hot shoe on it as well so if you've got a if you've got like a cold shoe or an accessory shoe on your camera, ah, then you can okay. stick it in there so it's not just dangling around. So, so if your camera, because there are cameras out there that have a cold shoe, and and just for completeness, a cold shoe is one that will not trigger a flash, but it but it looks the same. A hot shoe will trigger a flash, a cold shoe won't, but it will hold stuff and attach stuff to your camera. Yeah. So, or if you've got if you're working with some other kind of setup like a. Um, if your camera has a, a cage on it or something like that, which I guess is, it, you know, um, uh, then you could have, uh, you, you could put that on there, can you? So what do you, so you, you, you plug in the PC sync cable into the camera and then the other end into your little box there, which you could put in a hot, in a cold shoe and then, but, but it converts the PC sync signal to a, a standard hot shoe. To a standard it? hot shoe. And then oh, you nice. can put your, your, uh, wireless transmitter from your, flash or whatever you want to do um on top of that and 
you know, go, go about your merry way. And, um, so that's, that's a nice, a nice little accessory to have. If you have cameras that are, uh, that don't have a hot shoe. Um, this, this is my, my cheap shots camera, which is from 19, 19- 40 something like that yeah it's a, a, a folder it's an so, old folder yeah yeah and lovely. it does i don't know uh where can i see it here on the bottom here it's probably anybody who's looking at the video will see me trying to do this and if not <laughs> believe me that on the bottom of the lens here there's a little pc sync port and right. uh, that that's where the cable gets plugged in okay. and um that maybe leads us on nicely to the next thing that we have to worry about with flash um this old folding camera has a leaf shutter in it oh well that's a joy when yeah. you're shooting with flash yeah. that's a good thing yep. <laughs> so um oh, i i always tie myself in knots trying to describe this all right, right well let me try because i've got to try because i know because i do you know what the thing I, I i always can never get right is the description of how a leaf shutter actually works okay and that's the thing right I, I know the consequences and i know how to work with it but if you know how a leaf shutter works so, go get start there so a leaf shutter has usually got five blades and they open um they open all at the same time around the the nodal point of the lens so the the nodal point is where all of the light rays get bundled together by the front elements of the lens and then they flip in the middle of the lens and then they get spread out by the elements in the back of the lens so that middle point is called the nodal point and that's where all of the light is very kind of concentrated in the same place and that's a really practical place to have a shutter because it doesn't have to be as big as if you mm. have it at the back of the lens or behind the lens. Um, the so in this case, so a, a one characteristic of a leaf shutter is that it is built into the lens. Yeah. 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 So if you have, uh, you know, in the folding camera here, it's not changeable. It's built in, you know, but, um, you know, some of the, the larger middle, uh, middle format cameras, uh, medium format cameras, have interchangeable lenses that also have leaf shutters built into them so you've yeah, got when i had my bronica for example um you know uh that that had uh leaf shutters yeah so um because of that smaller area that needs to be um you know controlled by the shutter then all of the blades of the leaf shutter they actually move out of the way out of that circle all at the same time and so the circle is completely open for x amount of time um usually the leaf shutters don't have as high of a, a maximum shutter speed as a as a um, curtain shutter would but whatever their top shutter speed is you can sync the flash to that speed um because why the flash fires when the blades are fully open yeah and and the and that because the the fire of the flash is such a short period of time you get all of that light evenly across your film or, or digital sensor if you have a to have a, a digital camera with a leaf shutter and therefore you know, you've got you can achieve uh, a full exposure across the whole of the film plane at whatever shutter speed the the camera is, is capable of because typically your flash your flash the actual flash will be a much shorter duration than the period of your 
shutter being open. And so, yeah. Okay. So the, the trick is to is to fire that flash through the through the hole in your lens um, at the right moment, so that the whole film or sensor gets hit by that flash. And I think a typical you know flash duration is another story, but you know, say oh, like a, yeah. a twenty thousandth of a second or something like that is kind of a typical speed light duration. So yeah, often often depends on how much power you're using in the flash as well yeah. in speed light. So so. It's worth, again, rabbit hole. So don't let me go down the rabbit hole too much. But yeah. when you're dialing up and down your power, the power of your flash, often an element of that actually in, um, increases or decreases the length of time the flash is actually firing for. So the length of time it is emitting light. And that's um, that's important if you're photographing something that's moving very quickly, like... Uh, like a, like a, a drop of water or a rocket or something <laughs> or, um, or a bullet or I, I've, right, I've yeah. saw a video of somebody using a blender it's, you know trying to freeze the motion on a blender's spinning oh, blades turning it like 2000 now something, or something like, like that, that. Yeah. yeah so you yeah. could see that even at if with the flash the speed light was at full power you were still getting a lot of a significant amount of motion blur from the blender so, um, so hold that hold that thought because we've got to do the other side of this equation which is a curtain a double curtain shutter yeah. isn't it so yeah. so um but the point of uh, or the benefit of a leaf shutter is that you can sync you can you can use your flash at whatever speed um that you want to now i used to have uh, this is this is I've, i'm sure i've said this before it's one of the basically the camera that i regret selling i don't really regret it regret it it's not one of life's biggest regrets but a camera that i genuinely miss and wish i hadn't sold uh, was the fuji x20 which was a small point and shoot camera um which uh, from about 10 years ago and it had a leaf shutter built in and you could synchronize the flash at a two thousandth of a second you know so you could really when we talked earlier about killing the ambient you, with this camera and a couple of speed lights you could kill the sun yeah. almost or at least actually that's a bit unfair you probably couldn't do that but what you could do is you could definitely un properly underexpose the ambient with an aperture that still allowed your flash to be effective um which is which is amazing which you could never do with an slr no. because you know slrs uh well let's talk about it so, so yeah. uh, and this this is actually it's not related to slrs so much as it is related to the type of shutter in your camera mm. uh, but of course uh, so it affects modern mirrorless mirrorless digital cameras digital slrs film slrs um, range, range finders, finders yeah. yeah anything anything that's got two curtains and this is because of the way the shutter opens and closes so this is the bit i do know right, <laughs> i think but correct me if i get it wrong um the the way that the shutter opens is that uh is that the first curtain travels across the shutter so it goes from being closed to opening and then the second curtain is what closes the shutter back off again now, if you have a sh a shutter speed of of one second, um, this can be done in a very orderly process without any fuss. So the sh first, because the first curtain will open the shutter in a tiny fraction of a second, uh, and then the then the shutter will be open for a while, and then the second curtain will close it, and you then get a good period of time in which you could fire your flash. Uh, and to have that at a point in time when the shutter is fully open. 
Now, that's all good at a second. Um, what happens when you get to shorter shutter speeds is that there's never a point where the shutter is fully open and your film or sensor are fully exposed. Because to achieve the the, the shorter shutter speeds, and we're talking here of, you know, typically, um, and you'll all know this because all your cameras have got flash sync speeds, typically of a 250th of a, uh, of a second or faster, so, so, so less, anything less than a, a 250th of a second, um, there is no point in time at which your camera, sensor or film is fully exposed. Uh, what happens is that the second curtain travels very quickly behind the first curtain and what ha and your film or sensor is exposed as a, a slit so a, effectively a slit goes upwards or downwards or left to right depending on the camera um, across the the film uh, and that's why you have a maximum sync speed for your camera because you for the lighting to be effective the, the speed light the flash to be effective it needs to be able to hit the whole of the sensor for the whole of its duration um, so anybody that's ever misdialed their shutter speed and has had half of their film or half of their, their digital photo completely underexposed and thinking, why on earth is there an enormous shadow or why is that completely black? What's going on here? Uh, it's because uh, when the flash fired, that part of the film was not exposed because the shutter wasn't open for that part of the film. Have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah, the the curtains. That felt quite. I was quite quite nervous. There, no, actually. no, that was great. That was great. The the curtains basically, um, the first and the second curtain, or the first and the second shutter, they usually travel at the same speed. Like the physical speed of the curtain opening or closing is the same, regardless of whatever you dial your shutter speed into. So the the curtain will move at call it one hundred twenty fifth of a second out of the way. And then the second one will close at that same speed. Um, and so you can't, you can't make that gap any faster because the curtains can't physically travel faster than that without tearing themselves apart. Sorry. Yes. I hadn't meant to suggest the curtains traveled at different speeds. It's the, it's the lag. Yeah. It's the amount of time between the triggering of the first one and the triggering of the second one yeah. that changes, not the actual speed of travel of the curtains themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's why they they developed this kind of slit uh, mm. trick to overcome that problem of, you know, physics, uh, you know, not being able to move the, the curtain out of the way fast enough to get a, a shorter, fully exposed frame. Yes. So anybody with a £6,000 DSLR... Um, is going to have less joy uh, <laughs> when shooting flash than somebody with a pocketable rangefinder from the 1960s mm. because the little rangefinder is going to have a leaf shutter yeah. and the big SLR has uh, not a leaf shutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so leaf, leaf shutters are fun. Uh, because as we said, you can, you can use that to get a higher shutter speed and control more of your ambient light with the, with the shutter speed. Um, yes. And it's amazing the lengths that engineers have to go to with these substandard, you know, dual curtain shutters to, to get an equivalent of the, the something that the simple and, and good old fashioned leaf shutter technology can do really easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm talking about high speed sync. Um, for those that shoot with 
digital cameras. Uh, and this is a whole wonderful engineering uh, solution to a problem that is really caused by, well, yeah, I was going to say it's caused primarily by economics and people not wanting to pay too much for their lenses because le le lenses with leaf shutters are more expensive to make because they've got more stuff in them. Um, and there is also, uh, and so yeah, over time, you know, having the shutter in the camera has become the, the standard because then your lenses don't need to be so difficult to make and they're not so expensive to, to buy. There is also a technical limitation is that leaf shutters, as you said yourself, John Michael don't typically uh, get you know, open for more than about a 500th of a second. They can't really work fast. I think there are a couple a out there that are like up to a thousand or something on the older cameras, but the, uh, yeah. usually so, a 500th so, is kind of your top speed. Yes. So, so that would then impact in a negative way the range of exposures you have available to you when you're not shooting with flash. So yes, sometimes on a bright sunny day, a 500th doesn't cut it. You need a 2000, right? So, yeah. so there are good, there are, there are both technical and economic reasons why over time leaf shutters effectively fell out of favor um, and dual curtain shutters became a norm. Um, but it does mean that you know, your modern digital photographer with thousands and thousands of, of, of pounds, dollars, euros worth of kit um, uh, is in a, disadvantaged state <laughs> yeah and that's um at this workshop that i was at he was shooting on one of the the new hasselblad mirrorless cameras oh, okay. um, which is a modern camera it was the x2 i think um right okay um which is also a leaf shutter system so yes. it's a you know it's a medium format digital camera with a leaf shutter in the lens um and I think his his could sync up to two thousandth of a second or something like that. So yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but most of ours couldn't. So um, I no. brought I brought my old Hasselblad from nineteen sixty, which also has a leaf shutter. So I was there too. So. Uh, you were, you were good for that. Although that, was that particular shutter probably only goes to a five hundred. It only goes it? to five hundred, but yeah. that was more than enough. It's more than most. More, I mean, you buy top of the range digital mirrorless cameras you know from any of the main brands and they will top out at a 250th yeah some of them are 200 yeah i think my fuji um is 250. well and the the bigger the sensor the slower it is as well too because the um i think the the full frame dslrs are something like 160 in the crop sensors some of them are, aren't they? The, yeah. the crop you know because again you got to go less less distance so you can get that done in a faster speed yes um Anyways, it doesn't so, matter how much titanium your your shutter <laughs> curtains are made of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, anyways, that's that's one thing that you want to be aware of. If you're if you're going to shoot flash, um, figure out what your um, flash sync speed is, um, and just stay under that for whatever camera you're using. Yes. Um, Indeed. Some, and and oh, sorry, go ahead. Some of the uh, some systems like the the Pentax six seven, they also have leaf shutter lenses that you can attach to that camera. You know, so usually you've got a focal plane shutter, but there are leaf leaf shutter lenses that you can put in there. Because the I think the Pentax six seven has left flash sync speed of a twenty fifth of a second. Does it? Oof. Something Mind like you, that's that. A, that's a big old. Well, it's, it's a that, long it? way a, for that shutter to go. Yeah, it so, is. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, so that's, I think that's enough about 
flash sync, isn't it? I don't know. Well, just a quick note on high sync, high oh, yeah. speed sync. So, mm -hmm. so for people that have heard of it but don't know what it is, um, so to combat this issue of the fact that your sensor or film is not, um, it is is not open all at the same time, and therefore you've got a, a, a slit. Uh, a high speed sync system effectively uses a strobing mechanism. So you can only do this typically. Really, you can only do this on the TTL you know, capable speed lights that that will actually talk to the camera and receive and and so that they know how to do it um but a high speed sync uh, will effectively strobe you won't see it because it happens faster than your eyes can can react and the persistence of uh, a persistence of vision in your eyes but they effectively uh strobe and uh that then allows them to go if you imagine the curtain moving across or the slit sorry the two curtains moving across the sensor or film and the slit is effectively moving across the the, the sensor um, if you strobe enough times and in the right sequence at the right times you could you could actually then evenly illuminate the whole of your film or sensor rather a technical high-tech high electronic based engineering problem to overcome the the characteristics of the focal plane uh, shutter um, but it does come at a cost because typically your lights will not be able to strobe with the same intensity of light as they would do if they were just doing it in one hit because yeah, they've got massive capacitors in them that stores the electricity and they convert that to light and that's all good but if you ask it to do that 10 times in a 500th of a second it can't emit as much light as it can if you just say oh it's all right mate just go for the big one <laughs> yeah if you could say yeah just just do it once just let it all go all of that capacity yeah just let it all go in in one big hit that's a that you'll get a lot more light that way out of your light than if you ask it to strobe so the high speed sync does come uh there, there is a cost to it um in, in the sense that uh, you'll get less light out of your light or less usable light out of your light yeah, and that's right, uh, that, that's probably enough. that's probably all I want to say about high speed sync. It's yeah. horrible, horrible, nasty thing. <laughs> yeah, buy leaf shutter cameras instead. Or well, and instead. and either either a leaf shutter or a high speed sync or something like a neutral density filter. Those are all tricks to be able to use a a more wide open aperture with flash, um, or or in bright daylight. Um, you know, uh, so that you can. You know, if you want to have a nice a nice portrait with a shallow depth of field, but it's it's bright light, or you know, shooting at one point eight, your flash might not go down far enough to be able to get a good exposure. Um, you know, because no matter what flash you have, there's going to be kind of a minimum amount of light that it's going to put out. And if you're if you're shooting at one point four or something, and uh, you put your flash on minimum, it's still probably going to be too much for for a lot I've of situations using, i've been using a three-stop nd filter with flash uh for the product photography um for the craft shop so we do we're doing a lot of tabletop photography and i have my four foot octobox uh, effectively hovered above it um because what you want is a very even spread mm -hmm. of soft light for that kind of work and uh even at a the lowest powers so I have two speed lights inside a four foot octobox and I can't go down to one because then I don't get an even enough spread mm. of light because the, the box is too big for the size of the light. So the minimum I can have in there is two speed lights and I do that and I put them on their minimum power, uh, which is uh, 128th of their effective of their full power. And 
uh, the 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 octobox then is hovering about three feet above the tabletop, so it's quite close. But that gives it an amazingly soft spread of light, so that's really good for the for the quality of light. The problem is, is you then need to shoot at f twenty two or something. <laughs> it's like pretty sure my lens is the you know uh, 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 dif uh, diffracting diffraction yes mm -hmm. diffracting by by then. Um, so how do I get down to, because you're, you're, you're base ISO, which for that particular camera is, I think, 200 ISO. So that's that's the downside of modern digital cameras. Often they have higher base ISOs. Uh, ISOs. Um, uh, and I, I'm shooting at uh, maximum shutter speed, so it's a 250th that I'm allowed to have. And, and I still need F22 <laughs> to, to, even if my speed lights are on their lowest power. And I'm like, that. so you have to... Um, can't be f22 it must be about 18 or something mm. like that um but some of them you need to have you know, these tables there there's a way you do these things you want to have a slightly blurred background so you want to be shooting at about f4 okay you know or maybe 5.6 so that you can get a, a little bit of blur in about 5.6 yeah so how do you get a system that just can't get a right exposure down to something that fits and the answer is a, an ND filter. So I'm, you know, doing all of this indoor studio tabletop photography with a three-stop ND filter on, mm -hmm. on the lens, yep. just so I can cut out some of that light and so I can shoot at the aperture that I want to shoot at. So that's another use for ND filters. And that uh, that uh, ties us nicely back into the things we were talking about a show or two ago, where we were talking about types of light and direction. Because another option would be to move the light further away. Because then you you lose True. the light, yes. but then you're going to mm -hmm. be having a different quality. It's not going to be as soft and fluffy as it is if it's nice and close. So yeah. you're always whatever you're doing, you're trying to balance these different limitations and advantages to get the picture that you want to have. Um, yes, you're building your you're building your scene, aren't you? Yeah, and and so you know, and you're working. This is the what I call the technical craft element of it. So. Uh, uh, which is that you need to understand at the technical level what each of the changes that you make is likely to do or, or maybe putting it another way around when it doesn't look like what you want it to look like you need to be able to, to troubleshoot that and solve the problem and get to where you need to be so in my case I was like oh rummage around in the drawer now i've got to have like <laughs> is, there's, there's the lens i'm using do i have an nd filter for the lens that i'm using or do i need to find the step up or step down <laughs> rings uh, step up rings as well how what what have i got so i dig in the drawer find find the different it's like okay and as, as it happens the lens i was using was the lens i use on the rare occasions i shoot video okay and so i actually had a good quality tiffin hmm. three stop nd uh for that particular lens so i so so it was very straightforward in the end of just screwing it on um, and, and leaving it there. Other times, I do have some other filters um, which are from lesser brands, right? So, so you can buy these things very affordably, and they're not always bad. But especially with ND filters, mm. they're they're not N. Yeah, right? yeah, they're not neutral, yeah. um, especially with color. Yes, they 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 will have a color cast of some sort to them, even if it's only very very slight. Um, uh, so, I mean, they're usually, so I suppose neutral in the sense that they will, they will have the same level of stopping power evenly across the gla yeah. glass. So they're, they're, they're neutral in the light sense, I suppose. They're not gradient ones or whatever. Um, 
but they're definitely not color neutral so it is always if you have if you have a use case that is technically sensitive right to things like color um uh, and you need to get all of that right sadly <laughs> it is much easier and, and possibly quite important uh to buy the more expensive stuff <laughs> well, well of course there's another way there's another really great way of getting around that which is something that you use quite a lot isn't it you shoot black and white yeah that's that's a wonderful way to get rid of all color problems is just to not shoot color but yeah, yeah. um another thing that you could actually do would be to put um diffusion film in front of your flashes because there are yeah. there are little full uh, like it's like a cellophane kind of uh, it's it's basically a, a neutral gel that all it does is it takes light out so you could you know be be reducing your light on your flashes at that end rather than uh, in front of the lens yeah so, so you're effectively your softbox is emitting less light yeah. so you can do yeah you could do that on the on the the lights themselves uh, and or some some softboxes will allow you to put two They'll have a, a double um, double diffusion in them yeah double yeah. diffusion or you could you them. could raise your softbox up and put a um um like a diffuser like from a from a five in one kind of yes, thing you know you could like you could a, extend the difference the the space between there's all kinds of stuff you can do so yeah yeah um, definitely definitely yeah um it's it, uh, yes it, just just to try and stop the light so yeah. yes you can stop it at the light or you can stop it getting into the camera <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so one thing that we haven't we've kind of danced around a bit but how do we actually figure out what settings we need to get an exposure that we want when we're dealing with flash because you know if you, if i take my my little uh spotmatic my my pintex spotmatic camera it's got a it's got a match needle light meter in there and uh, i'm certainly not fast enough to see what that's doing when i pop the flash off so um <laughs> so there's there's some different options for for getting your exposure correct with film and um one that we've we've definitely mentioned several times is using a digital camera to cheat um so mm -hmm. um what when when you do that what do you what do you look for how do you actually expose your camera and then transfer that to your film camera Oh, that's, I mean, that's just a question of trial and error at that point. Yeah, you take the shot with the digital camera and once you're happy with the settings, um, uh, and that's the settings of everything, um, the, the, the shutter, the aperture, um, clearly if it's a film camera, your speed is set anyway. Um, uh, and of course the, the lights, uh, so, so the, the power of the individual lights and their location relative to the subject, because if you move that, then you've got to start again um the uh and then it's as simple for me um uh, as take the radio trigger off the digital camera pop it on the hot shoe for the film camera and shoot away because the important thing is the signal that you is is sending the signal and it's the radio trigger that sets the message and it is the camera's hot shoe that tells it when to send so you don't need to as long as your your film camera has the right aperture and and your digital camera is set with the iso that your film is and you've got the right sh and you've got a shutter speed that works it doesn't need to be the same shutter speed but a shutter speed that works um then you're going to get a decent enough exposure of your subject yep so that's um i liked i like to get a bit more specific with it um ah, okay. when i'm when i'm doing a um 
a portrait, for example, or something, um, I like to, because when, you, when I'm looking at the back of my digital camera, um, it's often, you know, I look at it and I go, oh yeah, that looks great. It's just the way I want it. And then I get it home and I open it up on the computer and it's like, why is it so dark? It looks underexposed because ah, the, right, you know, okay, the brightness yeah, yeah. of the screen on my camera, it can be very deceiving, especially if you're outside or you're inside, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's not something that I like to depend on too much. Um, so what I do is I actually, I will keep bumping up the exposure until I start getting uh, highlight alert warnings on my digital camera. Ah, okay. Which is basically saying to my digital camera, look out, you know, you're about to go over the top of the, um, mm -hmm. the acceptable light amount for this sensor. So yeah. if you've got like, um, blinkies. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, yeah. So, so, so if you, you, you ratchet up, you slowly ratchet up the, or step-by-step -step ratchet up the exposure till the blinkies start kicking and tell you, right. Okay. That's, that's. So the, the brightest yeah. part of the image or, you know, the, the brightest part that I care about. Um, because sometimes you want to blast it out to white in the background yeah. and you don't care about that. That's yeah. supposed to be that's supposed completely to be overexposed to yeah. that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's what I will look for is, you know, the, the highlight, yeah. the highlight that I want is usually going to be the thing that's blowing out. And, um, as film tends to have much more latitude going up as in it'll take much more light before yeah. it gets uh, overexposed. Um, I often add a half a stop or sometimes even a full stop mm -hmm. to that exposure. So I go with the digital until my blinkies start showing up and then I add a little so bit get, of light. To, uh, so you get more exposure. So I get more film. exposure yeah. on the film. I was going to say, cause the, I mean, the, 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 cause the good thing is if it, if you do have your digital camera setting off a little bit for whatever reason, like the screen doesn't display very accurately, um, the latitude of the film will usually soak that up. But of course, if you're trying to be much more precise about it, you, um, uh, then your way would be, be great. Um, uh, although of course, um, the other way of doing it, um, is to use a flash meter. Do you have a flash meter? I do have a flash meter. Me too. Uh, I love a flash meter. It's, I have this little one here. Oh, yeah, that's, little, the, that's the same one I've got. It's a it's a it's an entry level Sekonic flash meter because uh, you can get a, a really cheap fla uh, light meter. You know, really cheap. You can get old old antique ones. They work great and they cost next to nothing. Flash meters are expensive though. Um, mm -hmm. uh, at least this one I think was two hundred euros or something like that, which is it, it sounds surprising. like it's gone up in price Could since be. I bought mine, but and uh, um, I bought mine many years ago, actually. So yeah, so um, um, I yeah, I so was thinking about it earlier that you you can probably get a used digital camera for the price of a flash meter. <laughs> oh, easily, easily, easily yeah. yeah. So so flash meters are good fun though. So um, in the same way that um, uh, yeah, you can meter more accurately if you use uh, a, a light meter. So, and, and you're not measuring, and I always get these one, which is the, which is the incident and which is the other one. So there's incident and there's reflective. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So incident is the one we want. Isn't incident it? Like, is it? where the light is falling directly on the meter. Yes. So, so, so anybody who's ever seen it. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't believe I'm just about to explain to our very 
learned audience how to do metering. So incident, yeah. So if you're if you're used to incident metering, where you put the meter up to yes, your your subject's face or, or something like that, um, to get the exact exposure of the subject, um, you can do similar with flash. So uh, you you can set the flash, uh, you set sorry, set the meter um, to the relevant. Uh, sensitivity so the ISO that you're going to use in your camera and then you trigger the flash take a test shot or just use the triggering mechanisms and then it, it's that information that the meter when it's in flash mode it's that information that the meter captures and then shows on its screen um, and it will tell you what aperture you need so you'll say oh I am shooting at yeah ISO 200 and then you fire it off and it will it will measure the light that hits it and it will say okay if you want a correct exposure at ISO 200 uh, you need to be at f8 mm. or you need to be at f4 or f22 <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it might be and the thing that always confuses me with metering like that is it's it's telling you if you set your meter or if you set your camera to let's say f4 you do it you do an exposure reading and it says f4 and you set your camera to f4 and then you take a picture it will make wherever that meter was sitting gray because that's what the meter is looking for it's going to say at that, yes at that you know if you if you took a pic uh, if you had a gray card sitting there and you um, you took a picture then at f4, then you would have a perfect exposure of that gray card. Uh, yeah, do you know what? I've never thought about it like that. That would be, uh, I, I guess, because I, yeah, I only ever do that sort of thing for people's faces, basically, mm -hmm. um, I and, guess. And faces tend to be a bit more reflective than gray cards. So you get a decent exposure on it that way. But, ah, is um, that how it's, see, you, you know way more stuff than I do. I just, I just do the level of, you know, if I press this button, I know I'll get the outcome, yeah. right? So, so yeah. I never thought about that. So the meter would be looking for your 18% grey or middle mm -hmm. grey or whatever you want to call it. And, yeah. and people's faces are typically not 18% grey. If they're healthy, then hopefully yeah, not. Say there, there are, I'm, sure, I'm sure I've met some people whose faces, especially after <laughs> big drinking sessions, have been 18% grey mm. um, uh, or 18% green even. Mm. Um, but the, yeah. So, so tell me how that works. So, so then. So the, the, the light meter is, especially when you're getting, you know, your incident light meter reading. And this, this yeah. confuses the hell out of me. So I might be getting it totally wrong. But uh, my understanding is that when you've got your incident light meter, it's measuring the light that is falling on the meter. And um, yes. you've got this little half dome here, which basically means that if the, you know, because my face is um, half dark, half light, and if I point the meter towards the camera, then the little dome is getting half dark and half light. Yes. Bridge of what's happening on my face. Um, and so when you take your meter reading there, it's saying all this light that's coming in is F4 for a middle exposure. Um, so if, if it was purely black and white on my face, you know, if I was blown out on one side and completely dark on the other side and it averaged, then that's the picture you would get. Um, but if you, if you were to take a meter reading on the bright side of my face, for example, 
and the other half you still wanted to have some details in and you took a meter reading on the bright side, it would say, oh, okay, well, this is the exposure you're gonna need. You're gonna need F2.8 on that side, or no, you'd need 5.6 on that side because it's a stop brighter than the other side. Um, now- And you need 2.8 or two on the, on the darker side. Yeah. yeah, and so you can get into so you trouble you, with that. You can, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess it's, uh, especially if you're being creative with the light. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to, you know, if you were doing a, a split light shot where you wanted that half of the face to be pretty much in the, in the black, then you would, uh, I mean, what I would do is I would meet her three spots. I'd meet, I'd meet her on the light side. I'd meet her in the middle around the nose and I'd meet her on the dark side. And then you'd get three readings and you know what your, your fall off is like and then you can adjust your uh you can you can adjust your actual aperture on the camera to suit the amount of light you want your camera to capture when the flash fires so if you want to if you want to push the blacks right down to black the shadows right down to black then you would have a smaller aperture because that will let less light in this is the bit that always gets mm -hmm. you there, right if you want if you, you know if you want a bit if you want it to be brighter you need a lower number and it's like no no you brighter <laughs> must be higher surely and it's like no because a lower number aperture is actually a bigger hole mm -hmm. right okay so a bigger hole means more light and i, I always have to think it through yeah. step by step and then i may always get it wrong mm -hmm. always get it wrong yeah so yeah, so so I, you, this is way rabbit, way deep for me because I just look uh, yeah when I'm using a, a flash meter I just put my flash meter um, where I think it should be right so um, you know, and then I measure it and then I set my camera up and then that's what I go with. But the thing is, I suppose you know there's so many things about film. You know there is the there is as you said the, the latitude of the film right. So you know you don't with modern films certainly you don't have to get the exposure completely right and then of course after the development there's the scanning process and a lot of this so so as for all i know i could have been chronically over or underexposing for years and i'd never know about it because the lab sorts it all out when they do the scanning i just don't know and it's built into the film tolerance so yeah and one thing that's great too is if you if you use a consistent film or you you know if you keep doing the same thing and it works then it works for you. Why change it? Why yes, change it's it? the outcome. So, yeah. so yes. So, you so can I, know, I know how to use these things and I know how to get, um, I know how to get a result out of them. Um, and then I know little bits of extra things like, you know, um, you always need, you know, if you're shooting in snow, you always need to ha you know, overexpose compared yeah. to what your meter is telling you because it's trying to make the white snow gray exactly that's a great right, and that's a great example with a with a reflective light meter because it's reading the light that's reflecting off of the snow and it's saying okay that's gray we'll make it gray yes yeah you want me to make this gray right okay here's the exposure to make that gray and that's that's why cameras will often yeah underexpose snow by two stops yep uh and uh although of course you wouldn't get that you're absolutely right but you wouldn't get that with an incident meter uh, for snow because actually what you're doing is you're just putting the meter near the snow and asking it to measure how much light is falling upon it not how much the snow is reflecting so you would get a truer exposure 
reading for that. Mm. This stuff is hard, isn't it? It's a pain. But, hey, <laughs> it, it is a pain. We could. We. we I don't know how, how long we've been talking. Um, it feels like we've been talking for a good length of time, and we're deep down the rabbit hole, and I'm enjoying every minute yeah. of it. <laughs> I want to. I want to. Let's uh, wrap up this little discussion on getting the correct exposure, just with a kind of uh, trip down memory lane. Because there is another way that people used to use quite often to get the right exposure with a flash, and it's something called guide numbers. I don't know. Oh. Do, you, do you remember guide numbers, or do you know what those are? I do, but I never <laughs> figured out how to use them. And they were, I mean, by the time I learned about them, they were effectively yeah. long obsolete. It's, so. it's a lovely idea. Um, which, you know, requires some, some level of paying attention and uh, doing some arithmetic, but basically it's saying, okay, this flash has a guide number of X. And that means that at this distance, at this power, you need this aperture. So it's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like these old, uh, sunny, sunny tables that you've got on the back of some old cameras where it says, you know, bright sunlight, you need a hundredth of a second at F4 or something like that. Yeah. And it's kind of a similar idea. The only extra thing that is brought in with these guide numbers is the distance to your subject from the flash. So you've got, yes. you know, a meter and a half distance, it's going to be full power or whatever it is. So I, I did an exercise once when I was doing a lot of flash photography with film some years ago um i made a little pdf file uh, that i put on my phone mm. and i could always yeah and so that was my own guide numbering system if you like so it was if i am shooting my uh my flash at I, I can't remember whether, I can't remember which were the variables and which were the constant. I ended up with several tables that in, in the spreadsheet that I then created a PDF file out of so I could read it easily on my phone. Uh, and it said things like, if you are shooting four feet away from your subject at, at half power, you know, hit this table here will help you plot which aperture and ISO, not ISO, sorry. No, it would be ISO because there is a level of sensitivity to it, but not shutter speed. So yeah, if I was shooting at, at you know four feet away at half power, two hundred ISO, f four, that's going to work, right? Um, and so you, I made myself a set of tables I could refer to that said, okay, so um, my light is, you know, so if my light was eight feet away, so right, okay, I'll go and look at the table that's eight feet away, um, you know. And I know I want I know I want to be shooting at f four because it's a portrait and I want to get the whole of the head in focus, but I want the background to drop away. So right, okay, eight feet at f four. You know, what flash power do I need for for what ISO on my camera and and things like that. And that, I found that um, when I was doing a lot of that shooting, that was really useful because I didn't have to to worry about test shots too much. Like if if I only had a film camera with me. I could get in a ballpark with that, yeah. Because I'd done, I'd done the, the, the t I'd done the working out, I'd done the test shots, and, and written down the answers. <laughs> yeah, and as long as you, as long as you stay at the same distance, that won't change. So you can do whatever you want, and uh, let's say you've got, you've got a, a, you're doing portraits, and you've got the, the flash on top of your camera. As long as your, your subject stays the same distance from the camera, you're good. Yeah, you can just do whatever you want. So mm -hmm. yeah, either that or you've got to make sure you look at the, the right table because you end up with half a dozen of these <laughs> tables for different distances and different setups and stuff like that. Then you then you end up having to make sure you're looking at the right thing. So 
Yeah. All, all good, interesting stuff, though. Yeah, it's, it can be. Um, it, it is. It's a very for me. It's a very enjoyable part of the the art of photography. Is also the technical craft of of these things. Um, well, I, I I just find it interesting. It appeals to me. You know. Absolutely, and once once you kind of get a a, a bite into it, and you kind of get the basic understanding of how these things work. And then, you know, you start with one light and you figure out what that does. And then you start adding other lights and, um, you know, bouncing them around and doing all kinds of different things. You got a reflector and a light and you got a constant light and a flash and a reflector and a ND filter. And you're adding all these different variables together. Um, and sometimes it's fun just to do that just for the sake of doing it. But um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. ideally, you have some kind of idea that you're trying to achieve with all of your um, you know, <laughs> creative use of different yeah. equipment and, um, that, that you're then able to, to make something that you want to do to make with that, that image. And, uh, whether it's your, your tabletop, uh, photography, or if it's a portrait or if it's a, uh, you know, real estate shot where you're making the, the house glow or whatever it is, there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do. With well, one of my favorite things to do is to do outdoor external uh, sorry, outdoor, outdoor environmental portraits with Vash. And, mm. I'm, um, and, and if you want to make it really difficult, use film as well. Mm. Um, I, I've got, um, actually, we should, prob we should probably talk about this at some other point in time, but because uh, it's a bit of a, a tangent, but I've got a portrait shoot I did some years ago um, of, a, of a friend sitting in his racetrack car. It wasn't a mm. competition car, but it was a track car. And we were out at um, Donington. Uh, in the north of England one evening and I said let you know um let's take some photos uh, of you in the car so at the end of the evening uh you know wait till it was it was just sunset red skies just after sunset red sky hitting the clouds and and it's a really nice sky in the background uh and I had a light stand and a softbox uh, you know uh, and uh trying to figure out how it is that I could get you know um yeah, a nice photo uh, of my friend in this car, uh, and it was a it was a, a catering type clone, which is an open top car. So yeah, it was easy to get the light into to, to into the car to hit him because you know, it, it had no roof. And uh, and then you say it's okay. Well, what are we doing? Okay, so I need to. I mean, I want the sky to look great, so I need to set my ambient exposure mm. in the camera so that the sky looks good. And you and control did... that with your shutter speed. Yes, so I went into the sky with my incident meter. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I just pointed the camera at the sky, so not the composition I was going for. I pointed the camera, which had a meter, a reliable meter in it, at the sky and got a read on the sky. So I knew my camera settings had to be some variant of that exposure. So yes, I could change the aperture if, to get the flash right, but I also then had to correspondingly change the shutter to make sure that the ambient exposure stayed the same, right? So, so it did did that, and then, uh, and then you, know, uh, I must have had a, a flash meter with me because I couldn't have done it otherwise. Figured out what um, uh, what aperture I wanted to shoot at, um, and therefore how much light I needed, and you know, and blah blah blah. Um, so did all of that and i thought i thought this is great this is really and then the shots came out completely different <laughs> um in a really nice way in the end and what i had not pre-visualized was and i think pre-visualization probably needs to be a topic of a whole thing on its own but just a segue into it and maybe for another show 
but uh, what I'd not pre-visualized was the spread of the light. The spread mm. of the light was actually far bigger. Um, oh, okay. But it ended up with being a really nice result, actually, because what in just instead of just lighting him in in the cab of the car, um, it lit the long bonnet in oh, front nice. as well. And so, um, yeah, that was and interesting. Anyway, but any, yeah, but as I say, probably. This, this far into the conversation, I think we probably need to do things like pre-visualization and actually working these scenes. Uh, yeah. I think they, they, they deserve a show of their own, don't they? Yeah, I think so. But let's um, let's do this. We've, we've talked a lot about all of these different things and a lot of numbers, and anybody who's still listening to us is probably uh, half asleep now with all of these f-stops and shutter speeds and that sort of thing. Um, so maybe why don't why don't we each go kind of back and forth and just share some suggestions or tips for people who are getting started really simple things um that would make this you know, where would you start what would you want to do to start um um mm. you know getting into flash let's say Good you've got your first flash you've got a trigger you've got a camera um what what would be some things that you would you would suggest maybe we can kind of bounce back and forth until we run out of run out of good suggestions yeah that's cool okay so uh i was going to say the first thing to do would be to get some sort of triggering system but you've put that in the in the scenario because you have far more creative opportunities available to you if you can get that light off the top of the camera definitely um so i would say um first trip first tip easiest way to soften a light is to bounce it off something okay right so uh let's say you have a reasonably neutrally colored wall um you could put your subject near the wall and you could fire the flash at the wall it then becomes a massive great soft reflector and you will really soften the light don't point the flash at the subject yeah that's a great tip that's a great tip um my one of my tips would be to um create just one variable and try different um, different exposures with one variable. So uh, maybe it would be you've got your subject, you've got your camera, you've got your room that's all locked in, it's not moving, and you move the flash. You know, keep the distance to your subject the same and move the flash behind them to the side, on top, below, and you know, just play with that and see what kind of different effects you can make. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Um uh so another one for me would be uh it's another bounce one i'm afraid uh, this time it's bouncing off the ceiling ah. right so if you um uh you may not have a wall handy but actually if you want to take a photograph of maybe more than one person so let's say you're having a family gathering and there's a couple of aunties sat on a sofa um yeah a way to 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 light them in a flattering and reasonably even way would be to bounce your light off the ceiling because that then we use the ceiling as a big diffuse uh, not diffuser a reflector because it doesn't go through the ceiling mm. unless you've got a really powerful light <laughs> a really powerful light to go through the ceiling that's um, what we're uh, getting to in uh, exposure yeah uh, absolutely levels. yeah that's where the explosion comes in yeah so uh to, to to bounce that so again yeah um these are good ways of of not having to carry around massive great soft boxes with diffusers and or or scrims that they use on movie sets and tvs and stuff like that so it's, it's to make the light spread yeah that'd be my second tip all right well my my next tip would be uh start with a digital camera 
it's just you, 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 it it'll learn easy, much yeah. much quicker um and uh, it'll be much more joyful i think until you get the hang of it okay that's an, that makes my next one easy uh if you don't have a digital camera use an instant camera Right. Uh, you don't need to necessarily have an instant back as long as you know what your instant camera is capable of and what it's shooting. So if you know what shutter speed it's got and what, uh, and what you know, because if you think like a Fuji Instax camera, mm. they come with a, was it usually F12.7 or something like that, isn't it? Oh, something, it's, it's, it's a weird fixed aperture. Um, so if you know what that is and you can uh, and you can either cover or switch off the flash, then you can get some idea of, of what things are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I guess the, the next thing is just try it, you know, just, just go out and do it. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I think I've maybe got one more to close then, um, which is that you, if you have a film point and shoot camera, you can use the built-in flash to trigger all the rest of your lights. Um, this is not really a beginner tip, um, but because uh, uh, it's it blooming hard work most of the mm. time. So, uh, but I've done this. I've shot with you know off-camera speed lights using an instant camera, uh, an Instax camera, uh, and the way I did it was to let the onboard the in-camera flash fire, but direct that light away. So you literally would like by putting a bit of taping a bit of card to sort of deflect it off at an angle. And if you can get it to just do a little flash of light and you set your speed lights into slave mode, uh, which simply means that they will fire when they see something else firing. So they'll sit there patiently and calmly. And as soon as they detect a flash of light, um, they will then fire themselves. And because the speed of light is faster than your average photographer, um, <laughs> it looks like it all happened at the same time. Um, so uh, th that is, um, so if you have a point and shoot camera um, that has got a built-in flash and you're thinking, oh, how on earth can I work um, with, yeah, with, with off-camera flash? And how on earth, can, if, if all you've got is that and, and you need you want ways to be creative, then absolutely it is possible. Um, I see, I've yet to find a way to do it with a mobile phone mm. because you know, flashes for mobile phones are not really flashes no. and so other things won't respond to them. Uh, I, have, it, I have seen some systems for that that are dedicated for using a phone for flash, but they're... I think they're ridiculously expensive. They're like built into the Ellen Chrome system or something like that. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I think I once had a like a Loom Cube once that was that had a Bluetooth to the phone, mm. and it would it would say that it would do it, but actually it didn't. The okay. the 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 flash duration um, was like the thick end of a second okay so what it was doing is like oh right you're getting ready to shoot right i'll switch the light on and then i'll let you shoot and then yeah and then it'll go off so there was a massive lag from when you yeah. press the shutter button to when the photo was taken because mm. you had to allow for the light to fire up and, and and the speed of the bluetooth processing and stuff like that so so it, it is hard right. but yeah they, they find in fact i guess the lesson there is is even if you, as long as you've got some way of emitting some light, right? If it's from an on-camera flash on an instant camera, an Instax camera, it is possible um, and creatively quite fun 
you know, the, you know I, I remember once, I think I did this for a Sunny 16 assignment many years ago, a self-portrait assignment. I spent a whole evening in my, in, in the den in our house, trying to take a self-portrait with my Instax camera on, um, uh, timer mode, right? Mm. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, so I was able to just, as long as I was sat in the right place, because of course Instax film doesn't have much latitude. No, either. it's very finicky. I think. So you have to get your lighting quite right. So, so I needed to be as, needed to be in a really defined distance from mm -hmm. the light. And so I managed to get it so that the camera was on a tripod and I could just, just reach, just reach out. <laughs> and as long as it was on its 10 second exposure and then I could like, and I could just reach out without moving, you know, moving on the sofa that I was sat on. So I, and then if I held my head in just the right position and if I bent the light out of the camera the right way so that my speed light in the softbox could be triggered by it and stuff like that, all of these things needed to be true to get any kind of decent exposure. But I did it in I think it took me a whole pack. <laughs> Or maybe it was two packs. I don't know. Probably, probably only one pack to get one shot. Okay. Yeah, the tenth shot in the pack was the one that actually all came together. That was the good one. That was the good one. Yeah. Right. Well, cool. Well, I think we've definitely talked talked enough about this for now. And um, yeah, I could go on. Oh yeah, but me we, too. But we should probably stop. We probably should stop. <laughs> yeah, at some point we should stop. And. Uh, We'll, we'll pick this up or other conversations about lighting in the near future, I think. Yeah, definitely um, we will. Yes. We've, we've managed to figure out the YouTube. So there are YouTube videos of uh, episodes. Uh, well, actually, zero and one are on the Sunny 16 channel. They're a year or uh, two yes, old with, with John. Yeah. John. Yes, the um, yeah. The episodes two and three are now on the Sunny 16 Presents um youtube, YouTube channel. channel yes we and have a sunny 16 presents youtube channel everybody yeah. Yeah, it's it got up. two videos on it now and this one will be the third so this one will be the third thank uh, you for persevering with that yeah sure that i know that was a bit of a challenge to get that well to work. just just getting google to believe that we who are who we say we are and want yes. to post videos yeah yes but we got there and yeah well i yeah. say we no it definitely wasn't a we it was a you you did it and thank you for persevering <laughs> sure well i figure you get your hands full with all the other podcasts that you're working on it's it is a bit like that yeah it is a bit <laughs> like that but hey it's a labor of love indeed well that was uh, enough for us for tonight and uh, we'll talk to you again soon all right cool. take care everybody thanks bye-bye <laughs>